talking about heaven this morning. Um, it won't be a complete breakdown of every point about heaven. Uh, I don't think there's anyone actually who could do that. Um, but I, I really want to get into a bit of what is heaven, um, the glory of heaven. Um, that is so good that it would be worth any price to get there, to be there. And we often say, don't we, that Christians, when they die, that's where they go. We go to heaven. Is that not right? All right. I was journaling the other day, and one of the first things that the Lord said was, um, these are days of violent upheaval. Um, But it's not to destroy people's lives. I'm wanting to get them to see how fleeting their life is and how foolish it is to ignore the hereafter and how meaningless, meaninglessness, meaningless. I'll get that word right in a minute. It is to pursue worldly possessions beyond what we need. And why is that? Because our life is over in the blink. Literally, you take your last breath, and, and, and most people don't know in advance when their last breath will be. It will come as a surprise. Um, and my understanding is that you're alive and then you're dead. You know, we don't often have a, I'm now dying. Um, and so our place in eternity is determined by what we do before that event. We can't, we can't have a mindset where we go, yeah, well, look, I'll make that decision on my deathbed because you may get hit by a bus this afternoon and there is no deathbed. Right. Yeah. Um, so what we've established beforehand will carry us through. Now, um, a few of us, Pam and, and Pastor and Pete, and that, we were at a funeral just before Christmas for a dear old saint who passed away at the age of 91. Now, at funerals, that's where you hear people talking about heaven. That's the ideal place. And, and, um, and so the things that you hear at a funeral are things like, we're going to see them again. That's the encouragement. They've left us, but we're going to see them again. Um, <clears throat> we're going to be reunited. So, um, before, long before I was a Christian, or before I was a Christian, when I was 21, I had an older brother who was 25, and he died suddenly and unexpectedly. And the very first thing that we did is that we got together and we prayed. It was in the kitchen of our house. And we were not a praying people. We were not a church-going people. We didn't think about God in any way, really. But it just seemed important that right at that moment we prayed. And I can't remember what we prayed. But I just knew that there was a, a, an urgency to do that. And, um, and then at his funeral, the one question I wanted to ask the minister more than anything was, where had my brother gone? That's what I wanted to know. And I was a mess of tears and, and uh, I kind of grabbed him by the arm and we walked off down among the headstones. And that's the question I put to him. And I cannot remember what he said to me, but it brought some peace. Whatever it was, it brought some peace. 
but it set my older sister and I on a journey in to, to find out about heaven. What happens to you after you die? And the question, the burning question was, where is the dividing line? How good do you have to be to just get in? And how bad do you have to be to just miss out? It bothered me that I didn't know the answer to that. And it, it bothered me that for all of my goodness, I may be just below the line. Anyway, that journey that we were on, of course, was a journey that was instigated by God. I didn't realise that until afterwards, and a year later, we came to Christ. So anyway, so the question is this morning, what is heaven like? And I was searching through the scriptures to get a lovely um, description of heaven. When we die and go to heaven, what is that like? And you know there's precious little in scripture about that place. Anyway, heaven, the Bible says, let's start from the basics, from the bottom, work our way up. Heaven, God says, is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Says that in that's the Isaiah says that in the last chapter, say, um, of his book. So he's summing up, and he says, uh, "That's that's where God dwells." In Psalm 103, says the Lord has established His throne in the heavens. So it's His place of His throne, and even the Lord's prayer. It starts out. Jesus taught His disciples to pray. Starts out, "Our Father in heaven." That's where he is. Jesus called it paradise. A very famous um, scripture everyone knows is that when Jesus was on the cross and he was having a conversation, as you do, uh, with the two thieves that were nailed there with him, and he said to one, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Um, uh, uh, in Revelation, uh, in the letters to the seven churches, uh, one of them ends with this encouragement that um, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So the tree of life is in the paradise of God. Um, Paul uh, he mentioned at one stage that he was caught up to the third heaven and he saw things and, and things that he couldn't describe. Um, just so we understand what we're talking about here, he said the third heaven, that, that it kind of implies there are two other heavens and those two other heavens, the, the, the first heaven essentially is the sky. You know, the rain falls out of heaven, the birds fly in the midst of heaven. Then there is the second heaven basically which are the stars the moon and the stars and all that, and then there's coming a day when the, those heavens will be shaken and the stars will fall. It says that in Revelation. But Paul was talking about he was caught up to the third heaven, and in the Old Testament talks about it being the heaven of heavens. Um, he was caught up to the throne. The other thing we know about heaven is that in, uh, in Revelation it says that we will rest from our labours. It's starting to sound good. Now, the interesting thing also that scripture says about death, it so often refers to, especially with believers, is that 
they fall asleep. You know, Stephen, when he was being stoned, think about how horrific that event was. He was being stoned and it says, and he fell asleep. It's a bit of a weird thing. And Jesus was away and he, he got news that his good friend, Lazarus, was sick. So they stayed a little bit longer. And he said to his disciples, we're going to go back and we're going to wake him up. He's asleep. And, he, and obviously he was talking about that he was dead. Now, why does it refer to death as falling asleep? It's because it's temporary. If you fall asleep, you're going to wake up. Isn't that right? And often there is no sense of time between falling asleep and, and awaking. Ever, ever experienced where you, you fall asleep in bed and, uh, and then you wake up and you have, there's, no, there's no idea of time? You know, Pam's dad often have a bit of a, a chuckle over this that he's watched many movies with us, but they're very short. <laughs> and he doesn't even topple over. He just... And then he wakes up for the credits. I had a, I had a colonoscopy one time. And... Um, fancy sharing that with you. On my birthday. <laughs> but the experience of it was that I was on the trolley, wheeled in, and the doctor's face comes over. Hi, I'm Dr. Joe Bloggs. I'm going to be performing this procedure. And then, hi, I'm the anaesthetist. I'm going to be putting you to sleep. And the nurse, all done. And you go, hey, wait a minute. I was awake the whole time. There was no gap between the anaesthetist and the nurse. So the next time I had a colonoscopy, I thought, I'm going to watch. I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to really pay attention to this doctor, anaesthetist, nurse. Because they say, don't they, you know, it will put you into a state of sleep. It will be, you know, man, I was gone. Right. Jesus gives this example in Luke 16, where he's talking about death, and he gives the, the example of, of the rich man and the beggar Lazarus. You know the story? And the key thing about this, this passage is that, um, or one thing I should say about it, is that it may be an actual true story, not a parable, because he names the beggar. And um, anyway, they both die. That's what it says. And, and the beggar was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. And then the rich man, it says, he died and was buried. And then immediately he's in the flames of Hades and he sees afar off Abraham cradling the beggar, Lazarus. And then he wants all this dialogue. Anyway, the point is, in this example, is that the, the rich man, uh, the, the view was in those circles that the more blessing you had in life was equal to that's the hand of God on you. That's the blessing of God. So the beggar, he's, there's no blessing. I've got all the blessing. And the whole idea was that the more blessed you were, the more likely you to end up in the bosom of Abraham. 
That was, that's like, that was the ultimate goal was to be literally leaning back in the bosom of Abraham. And when he sees that, he's the one in the flames and it's the beggar who had the dogs licking his sores that was in the bosom. And it's because there was a switching of the, of the circumstances. One had great blessings in his life and the other had none and then it switched over. Anyway, there's a lot to say and I'm sure many billions of sermons have been preached about the bosom of Abraham. But anyway, the point is, is that there was no time gap between the death and being in the bosom of Abraham. There was no time gap at all. Okay. Now Jesus says in John chapter 14, and we should have a scripture for that. Um, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. So he's talking about the future now. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. So we often see that as, that's heaven, isn't it? We're going to heaven and he's preparing a place for us in heaven. It doesn't actually say that. It just says, in my Father's house. Anyway, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. One thing we should know about heaven is that it's beyond our imagination. No matter how good you think it might be, it's going to be beyond your imagination. There's going to be a wow moment when we get there. Um, so 1 Corinthians, I love this passage. And again, this is, um, Paul is quoting from the end of Isaiah. And Isaiah is wrapping up a lot of stuff. And he says that as it is written there in Isaiah, I has not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, of course, um, at some point in life, just trying to um, control my mouse, at some point all this is going to come to a pointy end. In, in, in life, we're going to get to a point where we come to the end of this age. And um, so Paul's talking in Thessalonians and um, referring to this point and he, and he says, I'll just try and get this to scroll down. Can you see it up there? Yes. It's not, not playing the game here. Just talk among yourselves while I get there. All right. So Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Remember what we were talking about? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So on the one hand, it's talking about an instant, immediate event. And now Jesus, or Paul is talking about at the end of the ages, there's going to be a, a point where God will bring with him all those who have fallen asleep and we're going to join up. So we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and that the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And those who are alive and remain shall be 
shall be. Gee, I can't even read that myself, Peter. Caught up in the air. I love modern technology more than anything. All right. So after that event comes the marriage supper of the Lamb. So it says, let us, re- let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. This is in Revelation 19. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. So in this great scenario, is, what will happen is there's the tribulation, the marriage of the Lamb, the thousand year reign of Christ. Let's run to the end of that. I'm not quite sure how all of that is going to dovetail in together. Everyone will have their own little opinion about that. But in Revelation 21, now it says something really profound. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell, among, dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Um, sorry. Hard when you can't even see where your mouse is. Uh, the next next part of that that's actually just in the one chapter. I know that this is a fair bit of chapter, and I've truncated this down so that we just get to the nitty gritty of it. Then one of the seven angels came to me, saying, "I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife," and he showed me the great city. So somehow the bride is the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Um, Her light was like the most precious jasper stone. From what I understand, when it says jasper stone here, it it means diamond. That's my understanding. If, If you have a better understanding than that, please tell me. Clear as crystal. And she had a great and high wall with 12 gates. The city is laid out as a square, and he measured the city, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. The construction of its walls was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. I don't know if you can get that in your imagination or not. I find it hard. Pure gold, translucent like glass. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold. Um, now, I've got an illustration, the next slide. This is something I found on the internet um, from revelationsomething.com. Um, thanks to them. This just gives you a bit of an idea of the size we're talking about. This is probably a little bit oversized, but um, 12,000 furlongs is about the distance from Cairns to Sydney. If you think about a cube, Cairns to Sydney in size, that covers almost all of Australia and at that height. So 
if we're going to keep the old earth and we're going to plonk that on the side somewhere and then spin it, uh, I don't know about you, but I, I just reckon that the, that the dynamics of that are not going to work. That's why we've got a new earth. We can't, we can't combine those two together because it, it doesn't work. There's a new heavens and a new earth coming. And then he goes on to say, <clears throat> But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honour into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, because there's no night, and they shall bring the glory and the honour of the nations into it. <clears throat> Sorry, I've lost my place. I'll just start here because <laughs> I can't find myself. Um, uh, and he showed, me, he showed me the pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each one yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, this is the paradise. This is the tree of life that, that the promise to the overcomers in the letters to the churches in Revelation said that this is their destiny. So this is not heaven. This is the, the new Jerusalem on the new earth. This, this is our destiny. This is where we're going. Um, and this is the other thing I thought was interesting. And the servants shall serve him. I guess that's us. His servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads and they shall reign forever and ever. His servants, us, are going to reign with Christ forever and ever. So um, anyone who's thinking, I've got to serve still, you know, but that serving is reigning as kings and priests. So considering all of that, I hope that's some sort of encouragement um, as we go on um, in our life today. But this is what Peter says, and Peter's at the end of his life. And so he's speaking very carefully, and he says, but the day of the Lord, so talking now about the, about the, about the tribulation and the return of Jesus Christ, says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? This is actually the, the real point of this message this morning. So, so uh, Peter goes on. And he says, um, uh, We, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, 
Beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. So Paul says in Ephesians, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, we are in a, in a time in history where we believe that we're in the last days and therefore a lot of things are really ramped up. There's a lot of intensity going on. And, um, and it's almost like there's a great focus on these kind of scriptures in these days which kind of clear away the clutter. We're getting back to absolute basics. What, is, what are the most important things? If we were just to clear the deck, this is what we would be hearing. So Paul says in, in Ephesians 5, see that you walk circumspectly. That's carefully, weighing things up. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then in Romans, he talks about... Um, Owe no one anything except to love one another. He who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments. And he actually goes in and, and lists a lot of commandments. All the commandments are, sum, are summed up in this saying, Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. Then Jesus, you know, when we talked before about Jesus um, saying to his disciples... You know, um, don't, don't be concerned. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. When he delivered that, it was actually at the Last Supper. So Judas had just taken the thing and eaten it and gone out to betray him. And Jesus kind of gathered the rest of the disciples around and he started to talk about these things. And, and so chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 are all about what Jesus said. And in there he says, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another. As I have loved you, you also love another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. This is the one thing, if you have love for another. And it's a bit, it's a bit weird, isn't it? That here, This is the New Testament, and Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. You kind of, we think obeying the commandments relates to Old Testament stuff, but here's Jesus saying, this is really important. Really important. If you want to ensure that place, the new Jerusalem, your place in, in heaven, obey my commandments. And can I sum them all up in one thing? Love your brothers. Love each other. You know, when you, we love each other, it, it covers a multitude of sins. And not just sins. It covers a, a multitude of ickly, prickly stuff. You know? No one feels prickly around here, do they? Eh? No. We never... Anyway, but that's the... And I, I was kind of asking, why, Lord, does it have to be a commandment? You know, shouldn't it flow out of the spirit within us? Why, why is it that he says, I want you to really take note of this? Really put your effort... If you put your effort into one thing, nothing else, one thing, be to love each other. That's the bottom line. 
It won't matter at all whether you think you've got all of the doctrine of the New Testament sorted, all of heaven and hell and all that stuff, if you know all those things. We haven't even talked about going into 1 Corinthians 13 or 14, the love chapter. Um, I just This is a very simple thing. Why do we love each other? Because we're all the same. We're all the same. Going back to where I started this message, where's that dividing line? I really wanted to know how good you had to be to just scrape in. And when I, when I really came to Christ, what I discovered is that there is a dividing line, but it's right up there with him. There's no possible way that we could ever get across that line. We're all, we're all under it. And it's by his grace that we're saved. It's just his unmerited favour that we're saved, which puts us all in the same boat. Therefore, when he says love each other, that means that all the gribbly ones and all the, yeah, do I really have to be? You don't have to spend 14 hours a day with them, but we are to love them. And there, I won't go back into it, but there was a, that, um, um, there's an inference in, um, in Ephesians chapter 4 where it, uh, he ends up talking about the fivefold ministry gifts. And just before that, he, talked, he, he implies that every person has, is, has been given a, a gifting. There's a, there's a grace for you. In some way, you feed into the body of Christ. That means we need you. You're important. What you can contribute is valuable. You know, you may have written yourself off and go, well, I don't have any gifts, I've got no talents. Yeah, you do. There's something that God has given you that is needed by us, by everyone else. And that's why it's so important to appreciate every person. Everyone has something to contribute. You know, I really find it, it um, you know, one of the great things of church, of coming to a church to a group like this, is that everyone has something to contribute. I'm blessed by every person I talk to. Some, everyone does something for me every Sunday. It's a rich experience. I said to Peter one time, I couldn't understand it. I came to church one night and I ran up the steps. And it had been a long time since I'd run up the steps of anything. <laughs> but I was so excited to be here. It's, su- it's such a privilege to, you know, it's a privilege to stand up here with a microphone. That's a privilege. But just to be among you guys, it's a privilege beyond words because of what you can contribute, just of who you are and then what you might contribute to me. You don't have to contribute anything to me. You're valuable without having to do that. But I really receive it. So that's it. That's where my notes run out. So can I just say that if, if you... Yes, please, come on. If, if, you, if you can't say with any form of confidence that, that you know that that is your future, please don't let this day go past without doing something about it. It's so easy. It's so simple. There's no hoops to jump through. It's simply coming and saying, listen, yeah, I think that I might be below the line. I'd like to be above the line. I know that only Jesus can do that. So I'm just going to put myself out there. Jesus, please receive me as I am. I confess that, yes, I'm a sinner. But please, I ask you to forgive my sins 
and receive me into your flock. That's how easy it is. If you would like to do that this morning, the altar is open. There'd be people who will pray with you and pray for you. And if you have any other need, anything, God bless you.